Welcome to Divorce Redefined, changing the experience of divorce with Cindy Stibbard. Cindy is ready to have those candid and unfiltered conversations so you know how to move forward in your marriage. You'll hear inspiring and insightful discussions surrounding this taboo subject to help you feel confident in your decision. Now, here's your host, Cindy Stibbard. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Divorce Redefined. I'm your host, Cindy Stibbard, and I am really excited to have you here again this week with me because I do have an amazing guest on that we are going to talk all about co-parenting. So you know that on this podcast, we talk about everything from before divorce, during divorce, after divorce, contemplating divorce, getting through and after it on the other side, getting into another relationship, and even working on the relationship that you are in right now. And most importantly, we work on the relationship that you have with yourself Whatever path you are on or stage you are at, my goal of the, and purpose of this podcast is to provide you with as much information and education, inspiration and empowerment I can so that you can make the best decisions for you, whatever those decisions may be. Now, to really help me out to make sure that I can get this podcast in front of all of those who need it, I do ask you guys one favor, and that is to head over, rate, and review, and follow the show. Whether you are listening to this on Spotify, iTunes, Apple Music, Google Play, Amazon Music, wherever you listen to your podcast, it really does help if you can give us a five-star rating. That just helps us get in front of those people who need it most. So thank you. Thank you in advance for going ahead and doing that. And giving a little rating and review would be really helpful too, because it really does help. My sole mission is to help as many people as possible, possible and you doing that really helps as well. Now, another thing I just wanted to mention, if you haven't noticed over on my Instagram or if you are on my email list, I have just launched a new extended version of my signature course called The Talk. And this is the course to take if you are preparing to have that hard conversation with your spouse. So many of us wait for the shoe to drop, that we wait for a fight to happen before we tell them that we want a divorce. Now, I suggest you don't do this. I suggest you really take this down another path, a much better path, and that starts with being prepared. So in my course, I really guide you through all the things you need to know to have this conversation right, what to say, when to say it, how to say it, where to say it, and especially what not to say. So in the show notes, I've given you a link to the talk. I have two options, the signature course, which is a digital course. And then I also have a VIP upgrade, which allows you to have some time one-on-one with me. So if you are struggling or scared to have this conversation at all, I've got you and created this course for you. So let's not waste any more time. I want to introduce you to my guest today, and we are going to be talking about, oh, the lovely topic of co-parenting with my guest today, Jay Skivens. Hey, Jay, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me, Cindy. I, I love talking about these um, these topics. Co-parenting is one of those scary monster ideas that I try to make a lot more simple for people. So I'm excited to, to be here. 
and you do make them simple and fun for people. If anyone hasn't gone over yet to Instagram and followed Jay at Jay Skimmons, you really do a great job with your reels. You're super creative, by the way. Like they really hit home. And I've been following you since like, I think you st- like since you had 5,000 followers or something. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's been a cool journey. And the more I coach, the more I live through it. And I've got two kids of my own. Like I see them play out most of the co-parenting issues that I hear about people there. Yeah. This has become a really cool creative outlet on top of the career I've chosen. I love it. I love it. So let's dig into that a little bit because I, this is really refreshing, first of all, to see a man in this role, in this space, and your perspective is really valued because we don't see as much of it as I wish that we did. So it's nice when we do. And I, we want to, I want to hear a little bit about, you know, what got you started. Tell us a bit about your backstory. Um, well, I think that as I've gotten further along in my own coaching, I'm realizing that my own mom would have been like my ideal candidate, uh, as far as the client goes, uh, she Mm. raised me on her own. Um, she was like, I, I have met my own father twice that I can remember once as a baby, but other than that, like it was her and me, like I've got a couple of older siblings that are seven and 10 years older than me, but for most of my life, it was just me and my mom. Mm. And uh, it was one that, you know, she, there, I've never had to question if my mom loved me or if my mom supported me. Um, but as I've gotten older, you, you know, how something like the, the curtain gets pulled back when you become an adult and when you become a parent, she did that, like at the sacrifice of like taking care of herself, of like mm. really doing things for herself, figuring out how life worked for her. She did all she could to help life work for me. Um, And now she's 67, she's retiring. um, And she's still kind of answering some of those questions that I ask my clients, like, what do you want for you? Like, if you could talk about your life without your kids or without an ex being in the conversation, what would that look like? Mm -hmm. Um, So for for me, that's kind of where things started. Um, And then throughout, you know, my own fatherhood wounds through my own parent wounds. Um, I attracted a relationship that was really sexually toxic. Um, Mm -hmm. It it was both of our ways of feeling a need, um, mine for like my self-worth and validation. Um, And I can't speak for her on on why she was in it. Um, But what happened was that she ended up getting pregnant and that was unexpected. Um, it wasn't part of the plan. We weren't technically even like boyfriend, girlfriend dating. It was really just, yeah, friends with benefits. Um, so it went from this like casual thing with not much connection to raising a kid together. And I don't know about anybody who has tried to, um, stop an unhealthy habit. Uh, but we didn't quite stop having sex, Mm. uh, after the first child was born. So we, she got pregnant again. And uh, um, I guess I don't know a better way, like, we, you know, she got pregnant, like, but I was obviously involved. Right. Um, so we got you pregnant. Know, if I, if I, in, in the story <laughs> in my head, like, it's not her, like, she, she didn't do it to herself. Um, but, but that's part of what makes me, I think, uniquely designed to talk about what I do and, and to be a co-parent coach is because, um, when the boys or two boys, when they were 15 and 30 months old, 
I found out that they weren't biologically mine. Like I found what? out that, yeah, that, that I think that it was one of those things that she allowed me to believe. It. I don't know if she ever said technically that they were mine. Um, but the conversation was one of those ones where it like, you know, she told me she was pregnant. She told like we had the conversations. Um, so I think that even though, yes, I was never married, um, wasn't technically even in a formal relationship with her. What I had to do was get over that, like those emotions, get work through those emotions, work through what it felt like a betrayal, um, what felt like, you know, her taking my future choices away from me mm. um, to the point where now it's like the best gift she's ever, like anybody's ever given me. Like what she did was the best thing anybody has ever done for me. Wow. Um, and for me to be able to say that, for me to be able to believe it, for that to be my, like what guides me. It's like now when I talk to people who have gotten divorced or who are co-parenting, like, yeah, but Jay, well, what if he cheated? Or what if she won't let me see the kids? Or what if they are so mean? It's like, yeah, okay, but like, I got yeah. you. Like, if I could do it, what I did, then I know I can get you where you need to be. Yes. Wow. So did you say 15 and 30 months old? So when they yeah. were like So toddlers. they were like real humans. They were like, you know, they had personalities. I was all in his dad. Um, and, you, wow. you know, it was, I, I, I hear people talk about this. I was doing what I thought I should be doing. You know, I think mm. that for me, as much work as I've been doing over the last few years, you know, that choice to stick around, that choice to, to stay and be their dad, like even before I found out, was me already starting to heal my fatherhood wound. Like it was me wow. like not being chosen by my dad. Like I can choose these boys. Like I can and you know, as I as I parent now, as I co-parent now, like that's honestly at the forefront of my mind. It's like most of what I'm doing is still healing from my own life. And I just kind of heal in front of thousands of people now that I'm on Instagram and then they just trust that I know what I'm doing. And the more I talk about it, the more people understand there's another way to do things. And I think that right. that's what I love about my job is that we're, we're tricked or we're, we're led to believe that like co-parenting is this nasty thing or that divorce has to be high conflict, or if they disagree with you, they're a narcissist. And there's so many things that get thrown around that it's like, Okay, you could choose that mm -hmm. or let me show you what I did. And if people are willing to listen, then lots of good things can happen. Um, but it's, you know, you got to kind of take that chance. Wow. Really take that chance and really knowing yourself that you get to choose that. And looking back, you know, at that, at any point in those children's lives, like they were so young, you could have said, Hey, this, they aren't mine. This is not my responsibility. You need to get the fathers if, or one or two, whoever they are to step up for you. What made you stay? You know, I, I, I do. I think that now with hindsight, I, I am realizing that. And this is something I'm working through, like currently, so this might come out messy, but it's like I was healing. Yeah, that was a chance to really heal. Like I was I at the time it was like I just felt like that's what I should do. And, you know, once I found out, it took me a couple of days to really um, work through what I really felt and what I really wanted to do and how I was going to do it. Um, but it just, 
it, it almost like wasn't a question of what I was going to do. It was just how. It was just, you know, how you, am I, I going to, yeah, how am I going to like see her? How am I going to like have to continue communicating, having to still see her? And I think that it was, I was still so heavy in my own pain and in my own um, wounds with it that like it still took time after that to really understand what was happening. Like it was just like this earth shattering moment, finding out for sure. And then it's, you know, when you're drowning or when you're in that state, you just make it through. Yeah. And then once you're on dry land, then you can kind of assess like, oh, my gosh, I almost died there. <laughs> like, you know, it's like this, like, yeah, this, yeah. like, OK, wow. I, I so I, I still don't quite know. I still don't know. But it was just I was going off the of instinct at that point. Wow. And you were just rising to the occasion. This is my chance to really heal the wounds that I have and show up as a father. I wish I had myself to a these thousand two percent. kids. Yeah. yeah. And did she, I mean, her telling you, I mean, she didn't have to tell you, I guess, right? She could have let you think that they were yours and you would have done the same thing. You know, at what point did, I mean, what was the motivation, I guess, behind her telling you? Were, was it to break up the relationship? Did she as, expect you to stay around and and really invest in this and, and you know, and be the father figure? Like, that's a, that's so, a big one. To me, that, that kind of plays into things. It, she didn't say like it was something I found out on my own. Like it was something that like I, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot to this story. And if anybody's <laughs> super interested, you can come over to my Instagram page and get the full breakdown. But it like, there were some, you know, how like, in relationships, there are, can be red flags. And mm -hmm. then for a while you're willing to ignore them or act like they're not there. Um, for me, there were just some things that weren't quite adding up. And then there came a point where I just couldn't, uh, mm. I couldn't avoid the reality of like coming to terms with, okay, I'm either going to have to know this or like actively be in denial. Like that right. was what it came down to as I, I'm going to have to really say something, really bring this up, really kind of poke a hole in this story or actively be ignorant. Um, right. And so it was like, I, so I, did DNA tests on the boys and found out on my own. And I think to her credit at that point, you know, two and a half years old for the older one, I think that she had kind of believed like it was so it was it had been her truth for long enough that like, I don't I, I don't know if she knew I don't know if she was doing it maliciously or or what her motivation is behind it. Um Mm -hmm. I think I can imagine how scary it would have been for her mm -hmm. to ever have brought that up on her own. And I can understand why she didn't. So to me that, you know, I, I... Mm -hmm. and you were together at the time, like you were, you were literally in a relationship together and having kids raising them. Well, and that's the thing is we weren't, it was, it was such a, and I, I, I always wonder how people are going to react to this, but it really was like friends with benefits. It was just like, we were just having really amazing, really unhealthy sex together. And, and it was... And in what, what sex is for. <laughs> right. And I think to... that... And, and yeah. so like the timelines matched up. So like for me, I, I, I've thought about it a lot and I've done a lot of work. I... It was like breaking an addiction. Like mm. to me, I can't describe it any other way. Like the, you know, the times that it would still happen, it would be like 
a craving and doing things that didn't always feel good, getting to the moment, having these moments of bliss, and then feeling like total agony and shame and guilt afterwards. Like I really had to do a lot of looking into my relationship with sex to Mm -hmm. understand why it was so hard to stop with her like it right at the end of the and that and that's what i found with co-parenting that's what i found with with her with parenting with myself it's very rarely that i'm addressing the issue in front of me it's like how am how do i feel inside like if it's something that my kids are doing that is triggering me or something that they're doing or saying it's not even what they're saying it's like how does this make me feel? Mm-hmm. And then I can control that kind of work. I can't make them stop saying something or stop being a certain way. But if the way that they are, the things that they say, the the reactions that they have bother me or trigger me, I can look at why those things bother me. So for me, I had to look at like, why can't I stop this? Why can't I stop going back? Like what's Mm. broken inside of me? What's hurting inside of me that like, this is Jay, this is clearly bad for you, man. Like this is clearly ruining, not ruining, but like you're, you're not progressing. Like, man, you've got to really look at this. Yeah. And then it was easy to sort of just pretend the kids were yours because the relationship, the sexual relationship was strongly there. So, I mean, we could make that those assumptions that sure, sure. They were yours. And how old are they now? Uh, Eight and nine. Wow. And so you have stayed from the moments that you found out or you discovered two and a half and a little bit younger, 15 months, you have committed to their lives this whole time. And do they do they know that you are the biological father or what is the dynamic that you have now? So, So this is okay. So, again, this is why I really feel like my life is designed for my path is that I'm also now primary parent for them. Like she has um, her own life, her own kids. Um, The boys go to her every other weekend during the school year. So like I'm primary parent most of the time. Um, And then, so they do know like about a year, year and a half ago, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, after her and I having a period where we didn't, communicate a whole lot on personal matters. Um, that was something I had to let go. So if anybody is like still asking their co-parent questions that they're not getting answers to, you got to let that go. Yeah. Um, yeah. After a period of not asking her any questions, not asking anything about what happened, um, it just so happened that somebody who was like an adoption coach reached out to me because of what they saw on Instagram and heard my story and like kind of like preemptively was like, hey, you know, Anybody who I've ever worked with that got adopted, they always wanted to know. Right, right. And I had always wanted to tell the boys before adolescence so that like their identity um, wouldn't have already been like kind of cemented and yeah. then find out. Um, but she kind of she wasn't on board yet. Um, but mm. there was like a probably a six to eight month period where I really cooled off asking any questions. I backed off. And then I had that conversation with the adoption coach. And then kind of brought it back up to their mom. It was like, hey, you know, it's been on my mind and on my heart to have that conversation with the boys. Like, I know our older son is going to have questions. Our, our younger son, you know, he's he's a second born. So like, he's right. like, you know, right. a bit less, a bit less into it. Whatever. Um, I, yeah. Yeah. My older son was going to have questions. So I was like, you know, if if he does, would you be willing to talk to him? And to her credit, like she was open to it. And then Mm. 
you know, for me, I was like, okay, so can I ask a couple of questions? So like in like after letting things go for like eight months in like a 45 minute texting exchange, I found out more about the scenarios and the situations that I had the last like four to five years. Um, Mm -hmm. So the boys know, and Mm -hmm. the, it's mostly good. It's out in the open. Um, I will say that there are times that whether we're like in target um, or at, you know, a practice that somebody will be like, Oh, is this your dad? And they're like, it's not my real dad. You know, he's not, <laughs> <laughs> it's not my real dad. Aww. And it's like, it's one of those things that like, that's what, that's kind of what I meant earlier. It's like that. Of course I have emotions about that. I don't, it's not my favorite thing to hear, um, mm-hmm. but it's definitely, it's their expression and it's how they're mm-hmm. figuring it out. So Right. I could make them I can make them stop saying it or I could figure out how I feel about it. And I've gotten yes. to the point where like now it's kind of like a, a joke. And it's right. like because if they say, you know, a lot of times they'll say it when we're in line and I'm about to get them stuff. And I'm like, oh, OK, as if your real dad's around, you could ask him <laughs> <laughs> to come get nice. this. Nice and it's one. Just like so it's, you know, it's but then there's times that we've actually talked about it and it's just it's an open level of communication that I personally never had. And, you know, I, I'm just hopeful. I believe it's what's best. We'll see. Um, but this is what works for us right now. Wow. This is a truly inspiring and amazing story because you have really stepped up to, up to the plate to be the primary parent for two boys that never ended up being yours. And you are now their primary father figure and they are trying to navigate knowing that that's actually not the truth, mm-hmm. but still maintaining the relationship with you. And they're at that stage where they still need that full caregiving. And have you have you noticed at all that's changed the connection or relationship with them? Now that they like know finding out, uh, no. Yeah. So the interesting thing was, was that when I found out, I almost was worried that like I would care differently or I would. Mm, be different. Yeah. Um, and it didn't seem to have an impact. They didn't mm-hmm. seem to change things for me. And then no, like when they found out it was, it was like one of those things that, you know, when you want to have that big conversation or you're kind of scared to bring something up. And then you you have your anxieties about it. And you, you talk yourself, you have the conversation a hundred times in your head. Yeah. And then when you finally go to have it, it's like you have it and then it's over and you're like, oh, that was, that was it. Like, oh yeah. I know how that, that feels. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really what it was like for them. Like it was just like, okay, back to regular. It wasn't like they wanted to go to mom's more or they wanted, they, they nothing changed. Like nothing <laughs> has changed. Um, and even just like, I appreciate that it's inspiring. And I, and I think that what, I've been able to accept and kind of step into is that like two things is one, I don't know my dad and like Mm -hmm. what an insane bond to have with my sons that like none of us know our dad. So that like when let's say that they want to meet theirs or I want to meet mine, like I'll be able to walk them through something in a way that maybe nobody else in their lives could. Yes. So it's like the like to me the second part is like that's why I'm able to tell people like everything that is happening to you is happening for you. Yes, like we, amen. Like we have to understand that like when we surrender to something bigger than ourselves, like whether you're a faith based person or a universe or an energy based person, like there's no way that my mom would have picked 
what happened to happen. Like mm-hmm. that my dad didn't stick around, that I would have had kids like this. Like there's no way that she would have picked this for me. Mm-hmm. But now it's like, I can't imagine my life any other way. And I can't imagine it have gone any better. Like I can't right. imagine that I'd be happier or more fulfilled if I would have had a father or if I would have been married. You know, I I have a globally and generationally impactful business now. Like mm-hmm. I am, I I might not have DNA, but I've got a legacy that I'm going to leave behind me that like wouldn't have been there otherwise. So it's, yes. I, I know people listening who are co-parenting can feel like this is like the worst thing that has ever happened to them. And right now it might be, like it really mm-hmm. might be, mm-hmm. but everything good in my life that I have has come from pain or come from mistakes or come from a time where I thought it was the worst thing ever. I love that. You truly are turning your pain to purpose. You know, right. and just embracing what it is, what gifts you can find in this tra- this tragedy, in traumatic events. What is this supposed to teach me? And you are literally taking it. And I love what you said about having that bond with your sons. What better bond could that be? Is yeah, I don't know my dad. You don't know your dad. And being able to just look at it in that sense of this is how I can deeply connect with these two boys that no one else actually can in that way. Yeah. Yeah. And as you know, it it allows me to see what my place is. And I think that that was like, I would say, especially with becoming a coach at the end of 2020 into 2021, that like, I value what their mom brings to the table so much more than I did before that. Like, Mm. I'll, I'll be the first to admit that I was the co-parent that like would have liked her to do more reading with the kids or get them right. to bed on time more. And I definitely brought that up. Right. And how I have been able to change my perspective and see things in a, in a different way is that like what she brings to the table is equally beneficial. Like it's, it's different than mm-hmm. the way that I do things It's different than what they're expected to be. And it's, just as beneficial. Like they're getting multiple perspectives from multiple people who love them. Mm, Like mm -hmm. to think of it as anything other than beneficial is, is my fear and my anxiety. So we're a team, like championship teams don't all have the same, like there's not a championship team with five Michael Jordans, you know, Michael Jordan needed the teammates that did different things. He needed a Dennis Rodman who was in the like grungy parts, getting rebounds. He needed Steve Kerr. He needed uh, Ron Harper. You you can't expect your co-parent to parent the same way that you do. You that's not how teams win. Yeah. So to me, it was me letting go of she needs to do it like me and seeing how her weight was beneficial. And that I can tell she is much more open to Mm. discussions, much more open to shifting things or changing things or having discussions. And, you know, when you have that hindsight, it's like, well, yeah, it makes sense that she wasn't open to it before. If anything that she said that was different was going to be me getting, uh, getting on her case about it. Yes. Yeah. Do you think, I mean, that's, there's a really clear indication here is when we stop trying to control our co-parent and just let them be the parent that they are showing up to be, how does that change the dynamic? And, you know, share with us where that shift happened for you, because I think we can all go through that early stage of difficult co-parenting. We're striving for, for control. I have them more than you. I know better than you, whether, you know, whoever feels that they are more in the know and how to raise children, 
can really be out of that sense of what you just said, which I love is, is that's not how teams win. Teams don't win by all of us being exactly the same, doing all the same thing. So when did that shift come from you for you? And like, well, was anyone inspired, inspired you to make these changes? Well, I, I, I will say that what you just said there was that like, uh, how did you phrase it? Um, like when one person feels like they know have the know-how. And mm. this is also another way that's like, I, I worked in daycares. I've worked with kids my entire life. I was a teacher before a coach. And then like in between teaching and coaching, I was a social worker. So like, I've always worked with kids. So like, I didn't come into parenting scared. I mm. came into parenting, like my time this. to shine. Like yeah. I've, got, I've got this. <laughs> So for me, it was always frustrating because she all, she has a couple of, she has other kids. And at the time when the boys were younger, we would all be together and, you know, spending time together doing certain things. And I always took it personally that she didn't come to me for advice. I took it personally that like, like I'm great at this. Like mm-hmm. I, I have been practicing my whole life for this. Um, and so I took it personally that she wouldn't ask for advice or she wouldn't um, take my suggestions. I took it personally. And so to me, when things really started to shift was when we were co-parenting and she had, had moved in with her current husband and she was coming into town to like drop off and we were having these exchanges and in my mind, I was like, we could use this time to like sit down, have dinner all together, um, try to get on the same page. You know, mm-hmm. I, <laughs> if you've been in any co-parenting situations or, or, or circles or Instagrams, same page. It's a place that people want to go, but mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like anybody ever gets there. You know, like it's, just, <laughs> it's a great destination. True. Um, but that was like, I wanted to be on the same page. I wanted to kind of, I wanted, you know, I one thing that I kind of had to let go of was that we were never going to be a co-parenting team that like had a glass of wine at the end of the day and talked about our kids. Right. Like maybe with a future partner, that's what I'll have. But I had to kind of accept that that's not, and maybe that's not who she is. And that, mm-hmm. you know, that's another level of acceptance that like, maybe she's not doing that with her current partner. Right. And that's okay too. Like that's yeah. what I would want to do. Yeah. Um, and we tried like two or three times to have that like sit down dinner. And the third time we kind of got into it about like what I wanted to talk about and what she was willing to talk about. And she said, she was like, Jay, like, I don't ask what happens at your house. What mm. happens here happens here. And what happens at my house happens at my house. And that's just not something I'm willing to discuss. Mm. And at that point, it was just like, I think that the first emotion was like defeat of just like, I guess, I guess this is just, I can't, I can't win. Mm -hmm. I can't get her to do this. I can't convince her. And then it was like slowly moving into acceptance. And that's when we had that like eight month period where I didn't ask any questions. I didn't ask about the boys' dads. I didn't ask how she was feeling about things. I didn't ask any of the questions that I had been trying so hard to get answered. But I think that in that time, it kind of like, it showed her that I listened. And I think that that was a a missing piece was that I hadn't been listening. I had been trying to convince, I had been trying to 
sway. I was mm. trying to get on the same page, but it was my page. Yeah. So I, that showed her that I was willing to listen and willing to respect her boundary. And then I, I, I think that's what allowed then when I did come with another question that, you know, came from the heart that she was open to it. Mm-hmm. I don't, you know, that, that never would have happened if that eight months I had been trying and failing to ask more questions. It really took that space to allow for the next step in our, you know, relationship. And then, you know, that, I don't know when that would have been, but, you know, last October, she was when she got married and I went to their wedding and like, right. that nice. was major. It was mm-hmm. super uncomfortable. It was not like carefree. <laughs> there were definitely times that I fell out of place. It was nobody else I knew. Um, but, but you went, you showed up, you did it. Right. And, the, and, and like, you know, almost full circle. It's like I sat at the kids table and like was kind of in charge. Like, you know, her sister has kids and she was in the wedding. And obviously like my, my co-parent has other kids and my boys were there. So like I was at a table with like eight children but that's like my wheelhouse. So it wasn't right. like they stuck me at the kids' table. It's like this, okay, cool. You know me. This mm. is actually where I want to be. I would rather be at this table than with your like great aunt and yeah. uncle Herbert, you know. <laughs> Making and, the like, small talk. Yeah. yeah, I don't want to do that. I can small talk <laughs> with kids all day. So it was just like it was really cool. And it was it was really amazing to see the boys be so excited just like to be dressed up to be with mom to see mom in her wedding dress it was like it was a really cool experience and I I think that more often than not anytime things have gotten better it's been because I've been willing to let something go or I've been willing to own up to something it's she's kind of been steady the whole time Mm. And it's just, she almost is. And I think that this is like, if people tap tap into like masculine or feminine energy, she's wanted me to lead a lot of the time. She's wanted me to be decisive. She's wanted those things. Right. And so every time it has gotten better, it's like when I do get decisive instead of waiting or instead of trying to convince, it's like, okay, we're just, okay, I'll let go of this and we'll keep moving. And then things get better. Wow. And that is a difficult dynamic, especially at the beginning. And you clearly work with a lot of people trying to get over that hurdle of, I know the best way. And how can I actually start listening to my co-parent? Because so much, I mean, when you get to this place of divorce, I mean, your situation might've been maybe a, a little bit different, but a lot of people, when they get to that place of divorce, Sometimes we're not choosing to be away from our children. Sometimes we are the primary caregiver and then our, you know, half of our job has been taken from us. And so we're fighting to keep it. And we really don't think that the other parent has any capability of being able to raise these children like we can, right? Especially I think for women where it's like our identity is so is so hung on this idea that we are moms for this stage of our life and we know how to do this. And there's so much pain and hurt too that's involved with divorce or being left. And so you also have that weighing on you too. Like, how dare you? And so I'm going to punish you by doing it through the children or what, you know, whatever. How do you start to shift this in people? Where does the light bulb go off of here's what you need to start to look at things in maybe a different lens to let yourself find some relief? Because I think that a lot of people don't realize that they're keeping themselves in that high tense struggle pain, anger, frustration with their co-parent 
more than they realize. I, I agree 1000%. And for me, what I find over and over again is that most of the people that I work with have been conditioned through childhood and through their, you know, society, school, things like that, to think about other people first. Like, mm-hmm. I think that generally what I find is that there's a person in the relationship that naturally thinks about themselves first and struggles to think about the other person or think mm-hmm. about the kids. And there's one person who thinks about everybody else first at the detriment of themselves. And those two people attracted in a, you know, unhealed, still needed to, to learn the lessons way. So for the people who are, you know, self-identified people pleasers or empaths, what you have to realize is that everything that you want for your kids so many people look, I want my kids to, to be able to advocate for themselves. I want my mm-hmm. kids to feel safe. I want my kids to know that, you know, their emotions are always taken care of and that they can express their emotions. They're always talking about themselves. Mm-hmm. Whenever I ask a co-parent who's new, what do you want for your kids? They're, they're able to give me very specific answers, like what I just said. And it's never about the kid. Right. It's always their own inner child. It's always these unmet needs that they have. So I know it can be hard. And this is, you're right, especially for moms, that you want to prevent your kid from feeling tough things. You want to protect your kid from feeling tough things, from going through tough things, from experiencing tough things. But it's actually through experiencing those things and having the model for how to deal with them that's actually going to help your kid a lot. If you prevent your kid from feeling the tough stuff and then life shows them, life is going to hit hard. It sure does. When you're a teenager, when you're in your 20s and you're experiencing that stuff for the first time, that's, 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 you know, police, that's getting fired from jobs, that's, you know, ending relationships, that's for men, for boys that are being raised, it's getting close to abuse in relationships because they haven't heard no before. Right. So we have to be very aware that like, one of the most true forms of love is allowing your kid to experiencing these tough things, mm-hmm. but for you to be the model for how to deal with it. So instead of how can I get my kid to not experience this or how can I get my kid, instead of making your kid your emotional avatar, what you have to do is really start healing yourself. I need to feel validated. I'm looking to my co-parents to validate me. I'm looking to my kids for my identity. That means that thing that triggers me about my co-parents, I need to learn how to validate myself instead of seeking it from them. I need to identify as something besides a mom or a dad if I want to have a healthy relationship with my kids and I want my kids to see who I am. Mm -hmm. So for most people, the moment that it starts to click, it's like, who who are you? What do you like? Well, I want to do this for my kids or I want to have better communication with my co-parent. No, no, no. Who are you? Mm. What do you want? Why, you know, I I can't do that. I can't take time away from my kids. And like, you just keep going until they're really ready. And so they're like, okay, you're right. How, how do I think about myself, Jay? How do I do this for myself? How? And then that's when our relationship really starts to kick off. Yes. It's when that shift happens where we have to stop fighting the person that is half your children. And just because you aren't doing it the same, doesn't mean they're doing Mm -hmm. it wrong. Just not doing it your way. Well, because if you think about it, if I'm thinking about what she should be doing differently or this person who's listening and thinking about how your co-parent should be doing differently, that's just your inability to look at what you're doing. Because every time I was thinking about what I what I wish she would be doing, 
there was some guilt or there was some shame about something that I was doing mm. that I would rather I would rather look at her and tell her how she should change than look in the mirror. Right. So it's it very like, attached to that projection kind of thing. And where we're judging someone is typically where we feel that we lack the most in ourselves. And it's like, why do my, am I so triggered by the way that you handle this? Because what is the need of mine in this situation that I need so much? And now I don't have control over mm. everybody in the party because we're no longer married. Cause I think that's also a piece of it. I don't have control anymore. And so right. your other co-parent is like, Hey, you can't control me. So I'm going to do what I want. And sometimes that dynamic at the beginning can be this, this kind of battle of for control. But what do you think about when it comes down to kids? Because I'm also, you know, a big advocate of, Children just need to learn other people. They need to learn other people's personality, other people's ways. Much like we send them to school, you're going to have teachers that you don't like. You're going to have people in your life that just aren't nice to you and are going to say things that that bother you. But it doesn't mean that that's wrong. It's just how do we navigate managing two different personalities? So when our kids are in two different homes, managing two sets of expectations, two sets of personalities, how do you think that impacts them? So to me, I, I really believe that we have to believe our kids are one, always trying their best. Like we have to believe that our kids are always trying their best. And two, we've got to believe that our kids are going to turn out great. Like mm. we, that, that is a choice. That is a choice to believe your kids are doing okay, that your kids are going to be okay. And that's something that we practice with, with clients is like, that's a journal prompt. Like what, what would life be like if you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that your kids were going to grow up to be strong, successful, healthy adults. Mm-hmm. And what's stopping you from telling yourself that every day? Because if your thoughts, if the story repeating over and over in your head is what's going to happen to them or they're going to be ruined or this is going to ruin their life or that's the story that you're thinking. And then people try to hide behind. Well, I don't say anything bad about the, the other co-parent. I don't say anything bad. But to me, this is very much like when like an alcoholic would be like, well, they don't ever see me drinking. It's not like my, it doesn't impact my kids. They don't ever see me drinking. But then the hangover, yeah. you know, you're not the same the next day and yeah. you're not pursuing your dreams the same way you would. You don't have that same zest for life. When your thoughts, when you are worried, when you are filled with anxiety about what's going to happen, your kids aren't getting your authentic self. They're not getting the real you. They're getting a scared, timid, not mistake, like you're scared. Mm-hmm. And so then the kids feed off of that. And then people are like, well, my kids, my kid's so anxious. My kid doesn't know how to feel. My kid feels this way. And it's like, well, right. who are they watching? Who are they right. learning from? Yes. So we have to be intentional about it's it's a skill, it's a practice to believe your kids are going to be okay. It doesn't magically happen. It doesn't change overnight. It's it's like eating healthy or working out. I, mm-hmm. I tell myself, like me, I tell myself on a daily basis, my kids are going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Because think, otherwise, the yeah. dark thoughts creep in, the, the, the you know, the the doubt, the fear, it does, it creeps in just like if you don't work out, you know, the, the, the soft parts creep in, you know, yeah, there's, there's yeah. things that, you know, it's, so cool. it's a practice to me. 
It is. And I mean, like thoughts become things. We create what we think into our reality, whether we think it or not. And we try so hard to create this reality, but our negative thoughts also create that reality. So if we have that in our mind, then that's almost what we see. I know that lots of parents, I know I was guilty of this at first too. I would see the negative traits of my ex-spouse in my kids. And I'd be like, oh my Mm. God, you're just like your dad that way. (laughs) Like we have to get that out of you. (laughs) You know what I mean? And so you get that because you start to see your ex in your child and that's not them really at Mm. all. That's you. That's your projection of your ex onto your child. Yeah. Yeah. And then whether we want to realize it or not, like then what message are you sending your kids? Mm. Like, I think that to me, that was a level of like, even just with certain things that the boys say or do, it's like, if I'm not at least accepting of this in them, what message are they getting? And to mm-hmm. me, like that, again, goes back to, okay, I've got to heal this in myself, that if this is, if it's bothering me this much, I can control whether it bothers me or not. Like, I remember, like, a big thing for me was that the story that I had in my head was that when they would come back from moms, they'd fight a whole lot. They'd yell and scream more, they'd fight more, and it would really, really trigger me. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately what happens is that then then i would blow up then i would get upset i would be angry and then it's just like if you're an aware person you're like well this doesn't make sense how am i how am i helping if they're yelling and screaming and i get upset and i yell like yeah uh, clearly that's not beneficial so what i had to do was there was one day where i just like pulled out my journal and like as they were fighting as they were yelling and screaming at each other they hit each other a couple of times they're 15 months apart so they're know roughly the same size um i just kind of journaled through how i was feeling about it i journaled through like what emotions were coming up for me and you know this amazing thing happened that like they actually went through till the end and figured out what they were fighting about Mm -hmm. they came to a resolution they it took a while it took probably 45 minutes and some black guys fine right walking away they thought they figured it out and then they tried again and then it was over a toy or overtaking turns or something and what i realized was that every time that i got triggered and i stepped in i was short-circuiting their ability to solve the problem so me being triggered and me stepping in me not being able to handle it meant that it was always going to be longer until they could handle it so it really took me removing myself from the situation for all of us to be like, oh, they can handle it. So yeah. now I'm a lot less likely to step in when I'm triggered. I'm allowed to be like, okay, well, I'm going to figure out how I feel. And then in that time, they can have the space to work through it. And they're, they've gotten a lot better at it now that I don't get in the way as much. Oh, I love what you just said about that. We can't handle that uncomfortableness because that's exactly it. You nailed it on the head because that's so true. We have been taught to be like, everything has to be okay. Can you just stop fighting and get along? But when our children don't have any other skills, this is how they're learning to express their frustrations, to to conflict resolve. This is how Mm -hmm. they're doing it. And what we do, like you said, if we stop that process... You are, st- you are interfering with them being able to learn how to resolve conflict, regardless if it's not like the ma- emotionally mature way as we might want to do it when we're 40 or 45, but when they're eight or nine or whatever, they're going to do it in a different way, but they need to get to that resolution. And you mm-hmm. having that awareness in yourself to be like, if I stand back and let this happen organically, what's going to happen? And what did you see is that they figured it out. 
and that they're totally capable of it. And to me, that's like the through line is that like you you let go of the control, like whether yes. it's parenting, whether it's co-parenting, whether it's business, whether it's life, whether it's a relationship, you, when you try to control things, it's, it, it rarely goes that you just, it's a limit. When you try mm-hmm. to control things, it's a limit. When you let go of the control, you really open yourself up to like unlimited potential. You open mm-hmm. yourself up to unlimited possibilities. And then you can like be pleasantly surprised because when you try to control, the story is never, I'm going to control in a positive way. No, it's, that's true. It's, you know, it's always <laughs> like, they're such a, an a-hole or they're this, or they're not going to let me, or my kids are fighting or my kids are going to be upset. It's like, if my kids stay up late and the story in my head is like, oh, they're going to be so, so argumentative, or they're going to throw tantrums tomorrow. Then like what happens is I start looking for the tantrum. Mm. And then as soon as the tantrum shows up, I'm like, oh, see, I knew it. Exactly. And it's like, or I could be like, well, we'll see how things go. And then when a tantrum type thing start, like comes up, I can choose how I respond. Mm. And if I respond with openness and, and a lot more lightness to the situation, my kids are like, oh, okay. And then things change. Yes. Now, what do you what do you suggest parents do when it comes to co-parenting and communicating? Because we see a lot of the time parents can get into this really fun texting, texting wars, right? Or, you know, questioning the kids about what's happening on their other parents' time because the parent really wants to know. And so then it kind of I, you know, I remember this, these would get my, my like hair on my back of my neck would raise and I would start to get so hot to, to think about how late they were up all the time and, you know, all the people in the house. And I would just start to be like, I need to just stop asking, stop asking mm-hmm. how the weekend was, stop asking. Cause they're going to tell you. And if you're not ready to hear it and you're not ready to be like, that's amazing. And I'm so glad you had a good time and truly believe and truly feel that in my heart, then I need to stop asking. So to me, the, the, one of my favorite, I don't know if it's an analogy or a metaphor, I should probably learn the difference between those two at some point. Um, but unprocessed emotions are like raw hamburger. Like it's mm-hmm. like raw meat. Oh, you, you did a reel like that. I just think yeah. I just watched it's, it. It's the easiest thing for me to teach through because whether it's your unprocessed emotion or theirs, like let's imagine that your co-parent sends you a text and, you know, they're getting on you about how you're such a bad parent and you are the reason that the divorce happened and you're the reason that their life sucks and they're telling you all of their stuff. That's their raw hamburger. Mm. Like that's their raw, unprocessed emotion. And if you already eat that and then get sick off of that raw hamburger, like you're able to look at this, they they hand you the, this is your fault. They hand you the, you know, you're the reason our kids are like this, or, you know, they don't listen to me because of you. You know, they're blaming, they're projecting, they're doing all of these things. It's like they're handing you a raw hamburger. And what you have is the chance to look at that hamburger, see that it's pure pink. Like it is is pure (laughs) pink. And if you take it personally, that's just like taking a bite. That's just like, what if I am the reason? Like, what what do they mean? And then you try to prove to them. No, I don't. I'm not the disorganized one. I'm not this or that. It's like you've taken a bite and then you get sick on it and you're spiraling or you're not be able to be present. You're, you know how you are when you're sick. You can't do what you want to be able to do. You yes. can't blame them. You ate it. Yeah. You ate the raw hamburger and then you got sick. You can't blame them. So what we have to be able to do is like, okay, thanks for letting me know. That's why I teach one-liners. It's just like, 
okay, thanks for letting me know. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, that's not true just because you believe it. And that way you can kind of give it back to them and then let it go. Don't try to defend. Don't try to prove. Don't continue the conversation. Drop a one-liner, put your phone down, and then go about your day. That way you're not eating their raw hamburger. But that also means that we have to cook our raw hamburger instead of giving it to them. The yes. same thing. Well, you you only help when you want to. You only come around when it's convenient. You only do this. That's raw hamburger because mm-hmm. you feel something. What what people find is that they really want the lawyers to take their emotions out of it. Mm-hmm. They they want the lawyer to set the boundaries. They want the lawyers or they want somebody else. I promise the people who are listening, once you start cooking your own hamburger, once you start processing your own emotions, you will have so much less need for lawyers, you will have so much less need to interact with your mm-hmm. co-parents. It will show you just how much your co-parent is like a little child. And then you can deal with them the same way that you would deal with your own kids. And that's when things really start to change. Yes. It's like that famous what quote, like when you drink poison and expecting the other person to die. Like right, this is exactly. just, <laughs> it's not working that way. I totally, I love that metaphor because it definitely makes sense. Like stop stop taking the bait, you know, and know that you can put a stop to it. Those one liners are so key and they're so effective, but they damn, are they hard to be able to put yourself that self-restraint and know that I gotta let this go. Cause so many of us fall into that defensive trap. You gotta be willing to let somebody else have the last word. Like that's what it comes down to. Yes. Uh, Jay, thank you so much. This is so, You're so full of really, really positive wisdom and information. And thank you for sharing your story with us because it is inspirational. And it's inspirational more because you shows a real clear character that you have to be able to show up for these boys and know that this is your chance to do right, to serve a higher good, to follow what, you know, the path that you were put on this earth to do, and then to be able to, you know, help others on their own journeys along the way. I just love it. Love everything that you're doing. So tell everyone how they can find you and learn more. Okay. So yeah, like you said earlier, uh, I operate mostly out of Instagram. So at Jay Skibbins is where you can find me. Um, you can join our co-parenting community on Facebook. Um, it's just the Jay Skibbins co-parenting community. And then honestly, be on the lookout because I'm about to relaunch my course. It's going to be the co-parenting blueprint. And we're going to give you the framework from like A to Z, how to go from surviving co-parenting to creating a life you love. So a lot of things are coming out. Oh, I love that. If you have a link for that, send it over. And I would love to put it in the show notes or like a preliminary whatever. And I'll pop that up so that people can uh, click on that so they can get to you because that is amazing. Thanks, Jake. Really appreciate appreciate it. it. Thank you for listening to Divorce Redefined, changing the experience of divorce. We hope Cindy and her guests were able to put your mind at ease and help you make the right decision for your marriage. We wish you a beautiful week. All of us know that it is next to impossible to make rational, logical, and even smart decisions from a place of fear. Most times, if we are in a place of fear and uncertainty, we won't make a decision at all. Cindy supports many individuals and couples at this stage who have been unhappy and unfulfilled, who are either currently in the process of divorce or just only contemplating the idea of separation. 
Cindy's clients are wise and brave enough to realize that they need to know more before they are able to make such a big life decision. Working with a divorce coach at these stages is the smartest investment you could make for yourself and your family, and it will almost always set you up for a better outcome, whether you choose the path of divorce or not. There have been many individuals and couples who have decided to give their marriage another shot after working with Cindy. As a divorce coach, certified divorce specialist, and qualified discernment counselor, Cindy is an advocate of healthy relationships, whether a couple chooses to separate or try to stay together. She provides new insights, education, guidance, emotional support, and understanding of the many possible options for both individuals and couples who are on the brink of separation. At the end of the day, as Maya Angelou once said, when we know better, we do better. This is exactly the focus and purpose of working with Cindy. Are you considering separation or currently in the process of divorce and feeling overwhelmed, afraid and confused about what this means for your future and that of your children? Do you want to make the right decision without regrets? Why keep waiting? Book a free confidential discovery call with Cindy today. Text DIVORCE to 604-200-6446 or email info at divorceredefined.ca.